Blessed are you, O God, who equips us for ministry and gives us grace sufficient to the task and instructs us and imparts understanding to us so that we could know you and love you more and our neighbors as self and that we could find a way in your will to reach those around us that uh, have absolutely no exposure, no thought about you, nothing, and that we're starting with raw materials, uh, unlike days gone by when there was at least a connection that we could have. Uh, help us to be mindful of this, uh, to know how we should minister and when we should minister. And, uh, be blessed now in, in our time together, Lord, to receive glory through our meditations and contemplations on how to encourage and, and be a real, the, the real heart of Christ to one another. It's his honor we seek this morning. Amen. So donuts and coffee in the back. As usual, there is no cream because I stopped at a couple of places on the way here and they didn't have cream. I don't know if this is like a, a cultural thing. I mean, these mini stores, the particular ones that are owned by people of Indian descent, if they just don't have cream, I don't, was this an, I don't know. Was this a cultural thing or what? I, I don't know. Is it, the, is it the sacred cow issue? I don't get it. Anyway. Uh, so we're going to continue to read. We had uh, we were looking at the letters last week, that, um, and we have a couple weeks left of this before we get into our Old Testament studies, <coughs> where uh, John Newton is writing to uh, the Earl of Dartmouth. We we'll talked about him a bit, his significance in the House of Lords, and we're going to pick up with another letter to him this week. I'm trying to remember, is this the one we read last week? Okay, so last week we talked about. Um, uh, on not doing the things we would. He wrote a letter, John Newton, and talked about why do we not do the things that we that we sort of will to do. We, we, we say we'd like to do them. We say we'd like to be prayer read prayers, we, uh, prayer people. We say we like to read the Scripture. We say we like Christian fellowship, and yet our life is often uh, marred by Quite the evidence that is quite to the contrary. And now he's writing a letter on him on doing the evil we would not. So what about this, you know, just the other side of the coin, right? And this is from what scripture is he dealing with? Oh, Romans 7. Yeah, right. His head is still wrapped around Romans 7. That tension. He said, I would not indulge vain reasonings concerning the counsels, ways, and providences of God. Okay? Yet I am prone to do it. So, it's, it's, on my better days, he says, I wouldn't sit around thinking about why is God doing this and what's he doing what he's doing. He said, I would not. It would, it would, at least in my mind, not be my desire to indulge vain reasonings concerning the counsels, ways, and providences of God. And I like that he calls them vain reasonings. And why are they vain? Why does he call them vain reasonings? Right, it, it's it's a useless attempt. It's uh, you're you're swimming against the tide, you're swimming against the current. There's nothing to be gleaned from it, but frustration, and but a sense of reinforcing your own warped sense of sovereignty, to some extent. Right, your own sense of I I, I can know what God is doing, and fooling ourselves that if we did know that He was doing, that would somehow relieve us of our distress, which it won't. Even if we knew what he was doing and why he was doing it, 
we would then disagree with why he's doing it and how he's doing it. So it, 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 it is completely vain, isn't it? Yet I am prone to do it. <laughs> that the judge of all the earth will do right is to me as evident and necessary as that two and two make four. I know that the judge of all the earth will do right. I know he will. It is, it is evident and apparent to me every day just as much as two plus two equals four is. Where is that scripture anyway, by the way? The judge of the earth. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Deuteronomy. No. Genesis 18, 25. Will not the judge of the earth... <laughs> it's a, it's a, it was in the Pentateuch, Mark. Close enough. <laughs> there, there's probably a... There's probably a, uh, there's, there's probably a few variations of that throughout the scripture as well, right? I think also of... think also of Romans... Um, it's Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Right? How unsearchable are His judgments and inscrutable His ways. You know? For who, who, is, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or to whom has He given that it should, be, that it should be repaid? Right? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. So, there's that Romans passage as well, I think, that might come to mind. How unsearchable how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways inscrutable? What's inscrutable mean, by the way? Uh, can't figure it out. Okay, I'm not going to ask anyone else because I don't want Mike to get corrected again. So, that's right. Can't figure it out. Absolutely. Can't figure it out. It's, it's, it's the topic. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. You know? I believe, he continues, that he has a sovereign right to do what he will with his own and that his sovereignty is but another name for the unlimited exercise of wisdom and goodness. I believe that he has a sovereign right to do what he will with his own, and that his sovereignty... I've never heard sovereignty defined this way. His sovereignty is but another name for the unlimited exercise of wisdom and goodness. What is God's sovereignty? It is the unlimited exercise of his wisdom and goodness. Wow, how often do we question that to our own... We stumble when we do that. When we question God's sovereignty, it, it, it can ruin any good sermon we've heard in the week. It can, it, can, it can mess up anything. When we question God's sovereignty, we just throw an obstacle right in the way of our gleaning from whatever it is that He's given us to glean from. Uh, it's difficult. It's, it's as if you ate, just had a nice mouthful of rich, double-fudged chocolate brownie and then someone comes along and sprinkles red-hot pepper flakes in your mouth. All of a sudden, that richness is gone. And you're, ugh, you know? But, he says, but my reasonings are often such as if I had never heard of these principles or had formally renounced them. Okay? Had formal, formally, not formerly, formally. My, my, my own reasonings are such that it, it, it's as if I never even heard this at all. When I sit there and I think about why is God doing, what he's doing, when he's doing, where he's doing, how he's doing, when I think about that, he says, it's as if I never even heard of the sovereignty of God. Or as if I had renounced it. I feel the workings of a presumptuous spirit that would account for everything and venture to, dis dis and venture to dispute whatever it cannot comprehend. What an evil is this for a pot shirt of the earth to contend with its maker. I do not act thus towards my fellow creatures. I do not find fault with the decisions of a judge 
or the dispositions of a general, because though I know they are fallible, yet I suppose they are wiser in their respective doctrines than myself. But I am often ready to take this liberty when it is most unreasonable and inexcusable. And that's in every, every, every event of, of life. Every event of life. And you, you, I think sometimes we can measure, not exclusively, I think we can measure our, <clears throat> our embrace of, our really, uh, our, our really inward taking, the forming and the shaping of us. We can measure our response to the sovereignty of God, what we truly believe, by our daily irritations and things that annoy us and perplex us. Because if, if we would, if we would, we wouldn't necessarily see them as thinking God should do otherwise. But that's only because we're not always thinking thoughts of God. We're, our, our thinking becomes divorced from everything we say we believe, and which we probably do believe. But in that moment of something challenging our path to where we want to be, or you know the store not having what we need, or, you know, any number of things. It's like, well, those things don't really fall under the sovereignty of God so much. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just... I was listening to one of the guys on the four-panel member at the very end of the thing yesterday, Q&A, talking about the sovereignty of God and this and that. And uh, one guy up there said... You know, I look at the Grand Canyon. He says, I don't think of the Grand Canyon as fully planned by God. I mean, some of that was just a result of God's sovereignty over the glaciers or, you know, however, whatever it was he said. But Vern Poitras, this other guy was like, who's older, and he's 76. This other guy was probably not even 40. And I said, here's the difference of 30, here's the difference of 37 years of additional ministry and saturating yourself in the ways of God. I said, he said, well, I wouldn't want to dismiss the beauty that's in that because that beauty is certainly decreed by God. That thing that takes my breath away in the canyon, you know? So we, we do find ourselves at times sometimes, um, I think one of the reasons why this is additionally helpful is to me and perhaps to you as well is maybe we can look at our lives a little bit and say, what am I considering to be under God's sovereignty and what am I not considering to be under his sovereignty? Because even if he's the God of primary causes, he's also the God of secondary causes, Oh, there are secondary causes of things that take place without getting too philosophical on you. But there is no secondary cause without a primary cause. So even the secondary causes in their sort of administrations are the result of God's primary movement. I was so tempted. I was When you go to these conferences in the bookstores, like Westminster Theological Bookstore was there because they're the ones that sponsored this particular um, this, uh, event at this church which was outstanding what a, what a church and the the books are typically when they're like 30, 40, 50% off and so I bought a couple and I wouldn't put my wallet in the car so I wouldn't buy any more until break time when I went up to my car to get my wallet so I did that like three times I, I did but one book I didn't buy and I'm maybe going to get it at some point because it was like 40% off it was a book that Piper wrote back in 2020 called Providence and it is this thick he wrote a book. I have it if you want to. It's massive, right? It's heavy. I mean, it's seven <laughs> in, in many ways, right? It's like seven hundred pages. Yeah. I got I got a, a gift card recently to Barnes and Noble, so I said to myself, I'll 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 get it there. You know what I mean? I'll donate it to you, and, and if I ever need it, then. Well, you can do that. I'm going to mark it up and everything else. You know what I mean? Right. Okay, cool. I do that. 
There's some other books I like, if I should mention them. If you guys <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought, wow, you can write 700 pages, you know, on, on, on Providence. You think, well, can I just have that discussion in a... Yeah, I've also seen little 20-page booklets on it, God's Sovereignty, yeah. right? And I've also read The Sovereignty of God, like, you know, perhaps some of you have, by A.W. Pig, a fantastic work of maybe 110 pages. Or you can read about God's sovereignty in any book on, in systematic theology, right? You get a nice little instruction on, what, on all, all the biblical support for the sovereignty of God, how we should view it. But let's face it. If we're going to react negatively to the things that go on around us, that rub us, then we don't need a 700-page book just yet. <laughs> or, or maybe we do. Maybe we need to really get our act together and say, hey, or maybe we just need to realize we're not the judge of all the earth, do what is right, and realize that he's in everything. I wanted to, I wouldn't have corrected that gentleman yesterday, but if, if Spurgeon is right that uh, there are no maverick molecules in the universe, then God cut every little thing through that canyon, through the instrument of, of the glacier, if that's what they did, or if God just created it out of whole cloth that way, cut the river by it that way. Doesn't the scripture say somewhere that uh, it's a scripture, somebody other than Gary, that, you know, God changes the hearts of kings and he also changes the course of the river. Yeah. You know? He, he can. Yeah, exactly. So, there you go. Good man, brother. So, so, in dealing with the sovereignty, it's another one of those things where we do the evil that we would not. We know we wouldn't dare question God. Yeah, we know we, we wouldn't question his ways. I mean, we wouldn't never say, "Boy, you, you know, God did it wrong with crucifying Jesus. Why was that necessary? Or you know, why was it necessary for this to happen? Or why was it necessary for that to happen?" Right? Yeah. And, and I think sometimes we can wonder how things fit into. What do you, what's the difference between suppose wondering how things fit into the sovereignty of God? Well, how, when do we cross the line? Like, what's sinful? Do you suppose what's what's deleterious to our own spiritual well-being. At what point do we cross that line between wondering about, musing about God's acts and sort of why he might do that? What's the difference between, I wonder why God did that. Why did God do that? Yes, Mark. Well, it's, I think if you take the position that somehow God made a mistake of why did he make me thus, then you're putting your place, yourself in the place of God and judging what he has mm-hmm. done. Yeah, and that's really mm-hmm. I mean, obviously sovereign, and that, those two just don't mix. Mm. But getting angry at what he's allowed to happen, yeah. you know, and just being able to say, the reason why I'm angry is because this isn't going my way. And what's supposed to go my way? What did I ever get off on that? You know, that's entitlement, <clears throat> and that's just very much a part of our country, our our, our culture. We would like, it's easy for us to point out the sense of entitlement and people that would say want to get everything for nothing or that it's okay for 58% of the population to pay zero in taxes and that the reason why they get away with that is because there's a mentality of entitlement in our country and there is, right? But when it comes to this, we've got to examine ourselves and say, hmm, what's my own sense of entitlement? Where's that coming from? Okay. And it says here, um, this is interesting so he would never he would never in, in, in a sense what he's getting at here is 
he would never in theory think that there's anything but the grace of God that's responsible for his regeneration, his sanctification, all these things, right? He said, I would not cleave to a covenant of works. It should seem from the foregoing particulars and many others which I could mention that I have reasons enough to deter me from this. Okay? That I, I would never cleave to a covenant of works that God, that, that I am and what I am in part because of my own efforts as well, mixed with God, that synergism instead of you know, that monergistic uh, uh, salvation. Uh, he says, And I fear that some part of my striving against sin and my desires after an increase of sanctification arise from a secret wish that I might not be so absolutely and entirely indebted to him. Wow. That's, you know, he, he, he senses that in himself. He said, This, my Lord, is only a faint sketch of my heart, but it is taken from the life. It will require a volume rather than a letter to fill up the outlines. But I believe you will not regret that I choose to say no more upon such a subject. Uh, but though my disease is grievous, it is not desperate. I have a gracious and infallible physician. Um, and so he has this sense of, where did that come from? Where did he see that in himself? And he, he, it's because he's such a mature Christian. And he sees that maybe there's some secret wish that I might not be so absolutely and entirely indebted to him. That somehow I've reached the point where I just won't do that particular thing anymore. To be under the constant graces of God, the same principles that hold the universe together. You know, he says, you know, he, he upholds the, the universe by the word of his power. It's the same with you and I in our sanctification and regeneration. It's not as if we've accomplished this now, right? But we still need the laws of gravity to be in effect so that the chair remains as it is. We still need everything that's out there. We need the mix of the, the mix of oxygen, nitrogen, everything else that's in the atmosphere. That's not just like God did that. Now we don't have to worry about it. God upholds that by the word of His power, and I think our life is like that as well. Our sanctification, the degrees to which we've grown in holiness, He continues to hold that together. He continues to hold that together. So <coughs> he goes on to his next letter here. The existence of indwelling sin overruled for good. That's, that's the little subtitle of this. This is April 1772. And he's writing to Dartmouth. Again, my Lord, my, last, my two last letters turned upon a mournful subject. The depravity of the heart, which impedes us when we would do good, and pollutes our best intended services with evil. So my last two letters talking about, I, I want to do good and can't. I don't want to do evil but do. Okay? We have cause upon this account to go softly all our days, yet we need not sorrow as they, we have, as, as they who have no hope. The Lord has provided His people relief under those complaints and teaches us to draw improvement from them. If the evils we feel were not capable of being overruled for good, He would not permit them to remain in us. This we may infer from His hatred to sin and love which He bears to His people. So He says, The Lord... If the evils we feel were not incapable in, of being overruled for good, he would not permit them to remain in us. And so what he's saying is, we, we, we sense that sense in us. I don't want to do certain things, but I do them. I want to do certain things, but I don't. And those things trouble me. They bother me. And he's saying, Newton's saying here, that there's something in those that God is going to overrule for good. If that were not the case, he wouldn't permit them to remain in us. He wouldn't remain... 
those evils, he wouldn't allow those evils to remain in us. So whatever evil is in us, or all those inclinations to evil that we would hope would be gone, God is going to overrule them for good. They don't have the final say. You get that? So the struggles that we feel, that the thing that's left in us, we shouldn't celebrate it as there, but we can celebrate the fact that God is going to overrule it for good or He wouldn't allow them to be in there in the first place. Who thinks like this? Who thinks like this? Whereas we might tend to excuse ourselves that to some degree think, man, I've been, I struggle with this. I guess it's just always going to be with me. Change that way of thinking to God is somehow going to overrule this for good or He wouldn't allow it to be in me in the first place. He's going to overrule it. He's going to. That's what he does. That's what sovereign beings do. He is going to do this thing. So, God is trusting. He's, he's saying, trust me, I'm bringing everything to a good end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, otherwise I think we could despair. If we don't know that, yeah. we will despair. It would be easy to despair over certain things in ourselves. For various reasons, you know. Or others. We should remember this when it comes to others as well. Well, that's Romans 8, right? Yes. The unchangeableness of the Lord's love and the riches of His mercy are likewise more illustrated by the multiplied pardons He bestows upon His people than if they needed no forgiveness at all. (laughs) Right? Where, where do we see that in Scripture? Where is he getting this? This is not just from his own imagination, or if it is, as I think I've mentioned, his imagination is, is provoked constantly by the truth of Scripture. He says, The unchangeableness of the Lord's love, and I understand his language can be a little bit difficult, and the riches of his mercy are likewise illustrated, are likewise more illustrated by the multiplied pardons he bestows upon his people than if they needed no forgiveness at all. We see God's love, His mercy towards us in the multiplicity of the pardons that we have. We see His love and mercy more than if we needed no forgiveness at all. Where's He getting that from, you suppose? Do you agree with it? Or if you disagree with it. Okay, think about Jesus. Think about, think about the woman washing His feet with her tears. What was going on in that setting? Do you recall? When did that take place? The one in Luke? Yeah, I think it's Luke. Yep, I don't think it's anywhere else either. So, yeah. It's different than the other three, but um, she was a positive. Yeah, right? In in whose house was he at? What was going on? So, I'm sorry? Well, well, there was a Pharisee. Right. There was a Pharisee, Simon. He was at his house. He was at Simon the Pharisee's house. And he said, and, and... and Jesus knew their thoughts that if this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. And Jesus like, Simon, I've got something to say to you. You know, when I, I came, you didn't even extend me the courtesy of, of washing my feet. But, and that was, you, you do that for everyone that comes into your home in that setting. There was a place set up as soon as you came in the house you know, with the lowest servant, at least, would wash your feet. Somebody in the house would wash your feet. That was a courtesy extended. I mean, that was their culture, because you walked around in sandals and you walked in the in, in all that all the time. So, as a courtesy, it was like a general courtesy in that day. 
It's like you have a guest over, you offer them a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something to drink. You don't, you don't neglect what you recognize as a basic need. You say, you didn't even tend to my most basic need when I came in the house. But this woman hasn't stopped wiping my feet with her tears. And, and he went on to ask me, he says, you know, Simon, so there's two people. One has committed a whole bunch of sins and been forgiven. One sort of committed very few. Who do you suppose will, uh, will, will, will love more? And, and, and Simon said, the one that's been forgiven much. And he said, yeah, you, you judge rightly. You know, This woman loves much because she's been forgiven so much. Yeah, I know she's a prostitute. I know what her life has been like. Look at her now. She's just pouring out love for me. Right? And, and, and so, it's a glorious point that we see in the Scripture. And it's something that gives some counsel and some comfort to Newton that he can pass on to somebody else that these things that we struggle remember they are but reminders to us as well of the Lord's multiplied pardons to us and should cause us to love more the forgiveness we receive if you're an unloving person you're a person that has not recognized your own depravity and what you have been forgiven of and he even said look there's, there's rejoicing over heaven uh, over one repentant sinner than 99 righteous Jesus said remember that there's rejoicing in heaven more over one repentant sinner than 99 so-called, you should maybe say, righteous. So, while none of us want to be burdened with sin, right? I mean, who wants to be burdened with sin? Who, who, we don't like that in ourselves, but we also know we're going to be free of it. It also is a reminder of us all the time of the mercy of God. Our things we still do they're just like sort of ongoing I call them sin scars <laughs> they're, they're still there the scars of a, of a sinful sort of nature and now they're being overruled by God for good what good? directing our thoughts towards Him the very things that were an exercise and, and the byproduct of our not thinking about God at all our sin right? we sinned because we and, and lived a life of sin because we had no thoughts about God He wasn't down our mind He wasn't in our heart and that's why we sinned and now we see when we sin that that completely changes our thinking to think about look at what love and mercy have been bestowed upon me if we sin we have an advocate of the Father Jesus Christ the righteous he continues further a spirit of humiliation which is both the strength and beauty of our profession is greatly promoted by our feeling as well as reading that when we do good evil is present with us this should humble us in other words a spirit of humiliation, which is the strength and beauty of our profession. Humility is a great attribute, isn't it? Humility is the thing that we all need most. Moses was commended for his humility. There was never a more humble man. Except for that one old whack at the rock, right? The strength and beauty of our profession is greatly promoted by our feeling, as well as reading, that when we would do good, evil is present with us. We should remember that always. When we desire to do good, evil is present with us. Let's not forget that. And that will keep us humble. So God's overruling that feeling for good. He's taking that feeling and He's using it for good. And so we see once again in John Newton, uh, the incarnation in us, the embodiment of so much of the truth of Scripture that He lives in by His own admission would also fail at but knowing this as well, this will humble us. This is to promote our humility. 
So even though we're still left behind, we're still stuck to some extent in sin, rather than completely getting ourselves overwhelmed in the slough of despond from the Pilgrim's Progress, right? We can remember that this is for our humility. Whoever is truly humbled, <laughs> watch out, this is coming at you. Whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angry, will not be positive and rash, will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners, knowing that if there be a difference, it is grace that has made it, and that he has the seeds of every evil in his own heart. And under all trials and afflictions, he will look to the hand of the Lord and lay his mouth in the dust, acknowledging that he suffers much less than his iniquities have deserved. Whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angry. <laughs> that can be enough to make any of us wonder sometimes if we've been truly humbled. Will not be positive and rash. Will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners. Not quick to condemn them. Not quick to... It was interesting... We all know at this point, right, the great, even if you don't watch the Oscars, I mean, you couldn't escape the news this week of Will Smith smacking Chris Rock in the mouth, right, for something he said about his wife. And I, on the one hand, applaud chivalry, but not at the expense of bullying, right? Not at the price of bullying. It was a dumb thing he did, right? But Denzel Washington, uh, I read a couple of things about Denzel Washington this week, and he said to him, he said to he said to Will Smith, "Be careful. We're never the devil is never so near to us as when we're at our at our highest place, at our highest point. Be careful." And and then he later said afterwards, when this had happened, Denzel said he didn't say who are we to judge. He said who are we to condemn. He said himself and Tyler Perry, who's another uh, Christian, right? They're, they're not of the same sort of flavor as us. All right, um, Taylor Perry's uh, director, star. You see him on a lot of. He made a lot of movies, a black brother. And um, him and Denzel immediately went over to Will Smith when they saw this happen. They immediately went over to him. And, and Denzel said, there's, there's nothing more we can do in that situation but pray. There's, not, there's nothing more we can do at that point. Just go over to him, be with him, and just pray with him for a minute. He did pray with him during the prayer. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, I, I'm glad he said that. Not who are we to judge. Who are we to condemn? I thought, hmm. yeah, because I mean, everybody and his brothers is quick to condemn all over the place with, with this thing, right? Or alternately to applaud, right? Some do that, but we'll be, we'll be compassionate and, temper, and, and tender to the infirmities of our fellow sinners, knowing that if there's a difference, it is grace that has made it. And that goes back to what he was saying a minute ago, too, where he said, there's a part of me that thinks that <coughs> sort of uh, there's a sense of me that secret wish that I would not be so absolutely entirely indebted to him for my own improvements. And that's a and so you see the consistency in Newton where he says that the only difference is grace between me and that person. At this day, you say in every 12-step you know, program that's out there, all the addiction programs, but for the grace of God, you know, there I go. You know? That would be me, but for the grace of God. <coughs> but we do get to the point where we need to ask ourselves if we really believe that. Do we really believe that it's the grace of God? Don't we in some sense at times think, well, I've, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. That's why I don't fall in that. that. That is true. I mean, God's using that. Again, the whole secondary, primary, secondary cause thing. But 
Newton really has his hand, finger on the pulse of grace in avoiding the dangers of sort of self self righteousness. Self righteousness. Um, he says, but alas, a divided heart and undue attachment to some temporal object sadly deadens our spirits and grieves the Lord's spirit so that we walk in darkness and at a distance and no call to great privileges lift far below them. This was in the final letter that I have of his. He's talking about his dependence upon God in everything that we do. And then lastly, his own glory is most displayed and our safety most uh, best secured by keeping us quite pure, quite poor and empty in ourselves and supplying us from one minute to another according to our needs. So he's talking about some of the, I guess, the physical things of that. Um, the blessedness of such a the blessed the blessedness of the condition of dependency the blessedness of the condition of dependency upon God and do we see that as a blessedness truly his own glory is most displayed and our safety best secured by keeping us quite pure and empty quite poor and empty in ourselves and supplying us from one minute to another according to our need. A constant supply, a minute to minute supply, supply, never getting more than we need for the moment. I don't need grace for tomorrow. I don't need tomorrow's grace today. I need today's grace. Right? Okay, here's an interesting letter. How are we doing out there? I know that the heat is, this is a, this, this is an anesthetic form of heat. This thing is, it's awful. I don't know if it's just the time of year being in this little space I feel this heat differently than I feel the heat in my house maybe it's because it's the force of here coming up from below or what or versus coming from that and that things I feel that thing just 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 it's like a lullaby <laughs> singing to me go to sleep go to sleep go to sleep brother Pat <laughs> standing up, you know, you're oh, you're if I was sitting down I'd be asleep it's cooler I commend you. I don't know how you're doing it. And it'd be even worse too if you already had a donut before you like if you came in and had a donut and that sat down, your cortisol would shoot up, right? You'd get that you'd get that temporary sugar jag. But then the cortisol would retreat, you know, and in in your kidneys would start sending out signals and your everything in your body would go into absolute chaos. And it would say it's tough. It's tough in this kind of. But we're, we're getting there. Pretty soon we'll have fresh air open and fresh air rushing in, and it'll be great. Just hang in there a little bit longer. We're going to read a letter now to uh, a Miss Thorpe. We have very little to communicate of Miss Thorpe. She was she is twice referred to in Mister Newton's diary. It's in italics, so it must be a published diary of his out there. Once while he was in London previous to his residence at Liverpool and again in the later place in the latter place when he gives thanks to God that one so unworthy as he was made the instrument of good to another. So we can infer from that, right, that he had obviously made some difference in this young lady's life, something he said, something he wrote, something he taught. He was grateful that it could be of some real use to her. The letter on the theater in other places of public amusement may not be without its value in these days of loose religious profession. So he's writing to her about the theater. He says, The circumstances of your being seen at the playhouse has nothing at all mysterious in it. As you say, 
you have not been there these six or seven years. It was neither more nor less than a mistake. In other words, if somebody saw it. I heard that you had been there within these two years. I'm glad to find I was misinformed. So I, I had heard that you were seen at the playhouse. <laughs> I had heard that you were seen at the playhouse. I was glad that's not the case. <laughs> For though I am persuaded that a few who know better what to do with themselves are for want of consideration, drawn in to expose themselves in such places, yet I am well satisfied that if there is any practice in this land sinful, attendance on the playhouse is properly and eminently so. The theaters are fountains and means of vice. I had almost said in the same manner and decree as the ordinance of the gospel are the means of grace. So to the same extent that the gospel and the ordinances are the means of grace, so too is the theater the means of promoting vice and sin in our land. And I can hardly think there was a Christian upon earth who would dare to be seen there if the nature and effects of the theater were properly set before him. So if whatever was going on, I tried to look this up a little bit. I couldn't find much because all you find is stuff written by you know, actors and poets and historians that laud what went on in the theater and the quality of the actors of the day. So I don't know what was going on in the, in the, in the public theaters at that time. I mean, you make it sound like... He, he, I mean, the way he's talking about it, you would think it was uh, pretty bad. You know, whatever it was, um, I would think there would have been at least some pre-Victorian sense of morality going on and the playhouses were maybe an escape from all of that moral, it was morally good. I, I, I can hardly think that there's a Christian upon earth who dare to be seen there if the nature and effects of the theater were properly set before him. So if the Christian person properly understood what was going on there and what its effects on the mind and the soul can be, he'd never be seen there. She would never be seen there. I think it's home to some extent. I mean, there are things I've decided I just can't watch. doesn't matter. And, and it's, it's frustrating to no end because there have been shows that I've started watching and the storyline really, looks like it's really going to be good. And then I guess in an attempt to make sure it sells and competes against the rest of the trash, they have to throw in some, I mean, base, vulgar stuff. The nudity now in, in shows. The, the sexual... Um, that used to just be innuendo, you know, where you would have to be slightly perverse yourself in order to infer there's something sexual going on here. There's no room for that anymore. There's been too much desensitization. So the, the, they really stepped up the degree of nudity and uh, sexual. And every, of course, everything is also homosexual now and lesbian. Everything. They can't make a show now, and yeah. like, well, there's Prime Video, all these different places, but they have to include that. Yes? Well, just the news coming out of Disney this week. Right, so, exactly, right? Ah, yeah. You know, it's like, I'd love to show, show my granddaughters. Yeah, uh, well, we won't be going to Disney. <laughs> no, we won't be going to Disney. I really, really don't want to spend yeah. any more money. Yeah, and, and not to get uh, down this rabbit trail too much, but, you know, like a friend of mine, a guy that retired from Pepsi a few years back, said, yeah, he says, I, I hate to see it spoil. I, I hate to see the girls fun room, though, so we're going. And I was like... Mm. You cannot in one breath say, where are the men? That's one of his famous sayings. Where are the men? You know, to stand up and speak. And on the other hand, go with your granddaughters so that they can have a good time at Disney. Right? And, you know, I don't want to get into an argument about that with anyone if they think otherwise. But I know for me, like we were planning to go next year. My father-in-law invited us down to go uh, be down there and stay at a place. 
And then this thing happened. And I've already had, you know, I mean, I, there was a lot of stuff I liked about Disney. Uh, we saw a lot of movies with the kids when they were younger. I read yesterday that the voice of Mrs. Potato Head from Toy Story died. She was 93. And I was like, oh, she was great, Mrs. Potato Head, you know? And I just started thinking about Toy Story and all this, but I'm not going to that place. We'll go to Universal Studios instead. Go see creatures and things like that, you know? That's not owned by Disney, is it? Universal? That's Universal. Anyway, we won't even go to Epcot. It's got so much fascinating sort of things there to see. I'm not going to be able to go. And so anyway, but let's assume that we know. So I know that if I watch these, I can't do it. I, 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 just, I just can't. Um, I don't even mention this show, but I started watching it with Paul Giamatti. And I thought, look, this has got a good storyline. But the guy is in the show is wicked as the day is long. Look at the things that he's involved in. I, I said, I, I just can't watch it. Another good, potentially good story ruined. And someone was like, well, you know how it is. That was front load, all that stuff. Get your attention so that you get into it. They'll throw the sexual stuff in. And then that way you can you get caught up in the story and you watch it. it. It lightens up on the sexual stuff later. So it's like the very notion that, okay, we have to get your sexual interest first and hook you with that, and then we can bring in the storyline that you'll be interested in afterwards. It's so backwards, right? But so I, I know stuff. Now, I know that there's just stuff I can't watch anymore. I just can't. There's stuff in there that's subtle and there's stuff in there that's not so subtle anymore. You know, and there's stuff there that Disney is doing to little kids. Okay? There's a... They, I heard them raving about this new show that's out that they're doing their latest Pixar one. I think it's called Red. And every time this girl feels emotions, I guess she turns into like a red panda. Alright? But she also... That happens when she has like... She meets a boy and she starts to have like these... She's 13. She starts to have some sexual feeling turns into the red panda. And there's a line at some point in the show where I read this. She says, my panda, my choice. How subtle and insidious is that? So I know that I can't subject my daughter to that. I know that I can't. So anyway, so he's making the point that this is, no Christians have no place in this. Now I wish I knew, I wish I could know if it's like, you know, it's not like was there a Hollywood then, a conglomerate? I don't know. He says, I wish you therefore not to plead for any of them, but use all your influence to make them shunned as pest houses and dangerous nuances, uh, I'm sorry, dangerous nuisances to precious souls. Especially if you. I think, uh, I think uh, Eric Matraxis's book on Wilberforce okay. goes into a little bit of the degradation of English society. Oh, cool. At this particular point in time. He was there, by the way. He, he was, was at the conference yeah. that I was at. He was there, there were a lot more things in slavery that he, yep. that he was fighting. And okay. Some of it was this kind of, okay. this kind of uh, degradation of English society. Interesting. And I think it, I, I, I don't recall any clear, yeah. any clear statements, but, I, but it's very clear that he was fighting those things. He's an interesting guy, Eric Metaxas. He was, uh, yeah. he, he interviewed uh, he interviewed he so he does this thing called Socrates in the city, which is where he interviews a number of people uh, over different things. He's interviewed Morgan Freeman. He's interviewed a number of people. Well, he was for the next installment of Socrates in the city. He was doing this uh, recording of interviewing uh, Stephen Meyer, who just you know wrote the book The Return of the God Hypothesis, and he was one of the main sort of speakers at this you know, conference I just went to. So yeah, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. In fact, I bought a book for my nephew who lives in Florida, who's starting to get curious about the Lord uh, to send down to him. Everything you ever want to know about God, but we're afraid to ask for the Jesus edition. 
and it's written in a form of like, uh, huh. you know, a dialogue. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, there were certain towns in the country that you know Wesley couldn't be preaching because they're too dangerous. That's just. Uh, he said, and he goes on to say, especially if you know any who you hope in, in the main are seriously disposed who yet venture themselves in those pure lues of Satan. P-U-R-L-I-E-U-S. Can somebody correct my pronunciation? Puerile? No, it's not puerile. Puerile would be P-U-R-E-L-I. Puerile is P-U-R-I-L-E. This is purelius. P-U-R-L-I-E-U-S. In the context is who venture, who yet venture themselves in those purlues of Satan. So it must be like bastions of demonic, you know, the place, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the place uh, 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 smells like smoke. <laughs> Endeavor earnestly and faithfully to undeceive them. The gospel opens a, a source of purer, sweeter, and more substantial pleasures. Who are invited to commune? We are invited to commune with God. We are so called to share in the theme of angels, the signs of heaven, and the wonders of redeeming love are laid open to our view. Well, then may we ab- bid adieu to the perishing pleasures of sin. Well, may we pity those who can find pleasure in those places and parties where He, the Lord, is shut out where his name is only mentioned to be profaned, where his commandments are not only broken, but insulted, where sinners proclaim their shame as in Sodom and attempt not to hide it. And I've got to be honest, I was thinking about this saying, okay, so, and again, this is where Christian liberty comes in, right? And I don't want to tell anyone how they should live within those confines, but are there things that I do where I could be spent better in reading a little bit more of the three books I have simultaneously going? That are, that are going to enrich my soul. How much time do I waste not enriching my soul? It's like trying to give up sugar altogether. You know what I mean? You can cut back on sweets or you can give up on extra processed sugar altogether, which I have no intention on doing. So, no. But you know what I mean? Uh, spiritually and theologically, it, devotionally to our soul's sake, and I've said this to Kim. You ever notice so many of these shows we watch? There's no. We're watching people trying to live and solve problems and have relationships with other people with no reference to the divine whatsoever. You're watching people that the whole course of the show never mention God, are never in prayer. So you're watching people try to cope with life with absolutely no reference to God whatsoever. And in the process of doing, run the risk of reinforcing in ourselves. Those portions of our lives as we think we, we're living that are referring and sourcing God, but they're not resourcing God at all. So just something for us to be very mindful of. Whether you decide it's okay to go to the theater or not. Right? Um, and we'll close with that. We're going to pick up next week with some letters to William Cooper. Can we still see Top Gun too? Yes. Okay. Right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was the question. Yes. That's the question. <laughs> I, I, I'm not your judge. So. Uh, but, but you can't watch Miley Cyrus's latest video. <laughs> and what's what's the what's the line? You know, you got to figure that out for yourself. And every one of us, this is we we have to be honest with ourselves and ask: Am I promoting or hurting myself? What's my weakness? If I know I have a tendency to lustful thoughts, then why are you going to watch something that? It's going to trigger that. If I know that I am tempted to whatever, 
Why am I going to watch something that's going to reinforce that? Why do I deceive myself to think I'm strong enough to bear up when the Lord has given me a better way out? And uh, I guess we'll just leave it, leave it with that for now. So, what say you or anyone else? We ready to go? I'm going to pray and we'll be done. Somebody else, somebody else want to pray for us? Somebody, somebody, somebody? Todd, thanks. Father, we thank and praise you for uh, believers of the past who shine a bright light for mm-hmm. us to, to walk in. Indeed, their devotion, uh, Lord, to holiness. And, oh Lord, we see us faltering on that line uh, in a culture that is even in the church. So we pray that Southern Grace Chapel and ourselves even would uh, not fall into that pattern, oh Lord, of worldliness. And, mm-hmm. You would give us the strength, the discernment, and even the, and most of all, the love for you, O Lord, to even expose the evil through good, and mm-hmm. to love you, O Lord, with all of our heart, mind, and soul, to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.